Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. Yesterday, I don't even know if I talked to myself. I can't remember. And I woke up and I felt like so suicidally depressed. I couldn't even move. It was so painful. And then sort of decided I'm going to the island. And then I felt like I could move again. And I managed to shower yesterday. Not today yet. And I took some of the vitamins that Peter Smith told me to take. And again, I took some today. Usually I take them twice a day and at bedtime, but it's kind of like once a day happening. And all of a sudden I felt like a little bit more creative and like I can do things. And I don't know if I'll be like kind of falling back into the lowest common denominator at some point, but a couple things. Last night I had this weird experience. I woke up in the night and I don't usually wake up in the night. And somehow I knew it was the middle of the night and I checked the time, which I never do, and it was 2.29. And it felt like how I was earlier in the night when I was sort of laying in this certain yoga posture, like fully stretched out like this and legs stretched out and touching in the back, laying on my forehead on a yoga mat um, and also on an earthing mat. And I discovered last night that doing that posture as well as the reverse waterfall like with feet up on the couch on an earthing mat took away the pain like I was feeling this pain and the pain I think has something to do with gravity and also so does the sound that I hear this really loud like almost like a like a magnet turning or something And I was talking with someone yesterday and I realized if I shook my head, it would, it makes the magnet sound immediately go away. And then it comes back immediately when I keep my head still. And also the pain. So by doing those postures, the pain went away. And for the first time I was able to feel love for the first time in many weeks and calm. And I was able to like, it just naturally happened that I would hold people in mind and send them love. And so when I woke up in the night, it kind of felt like I woke up from that same energy. And I got up and I took two more 50 or 25 milligrams of quetiapine to go back to sleep because 
I felt really awake, like I wasn't going to go back to sleep. And then at some point I wasn't quite sleeping yet and I opened my eyes and my room is pretty much pitch black. I have the blackout blinds, even though they're partly not working there. I can see some light in the morning a bit, but anyway, it's pitch black at night and I saw this like clip, like a video clip projected out into the darkness of space, like outside my brain. Usually when I see things in its remote viewing, it's like in my brain, but this was projected out into space. And what I saw was like just the tip of a mattress on the floor and an orange cat. It was like kind of light orange and like medium fluffy laying there like, like a cat does. And then I saw the hind legs and the back of a dog just sort of running away. Like this tan dog with like a black part on his back, like just sort of running away. Like he had wasn't laying down and got up, but it was like he was already up and running. And then I was like, mm. and then I closed my eyes. And then I opened my eyes sometime later again. And I saw like a woman standing there, but it wasn't like standing by my bed, which would have freaked me out a little, but it was sort of up here. So I understood it was like in the top of the room and it was like a projection of some kind. And I saw this woman and then I kind of looked closer and she looked towards me and then looked back straight, which her looking straight, she was looking like facing this way. And then I looked closely and it looked like somebody I knew. Um, And then, and then, um, yeah, I closed my eyes and then I went to sleep. I did open my eyes again at like some other point and I didn't see anything. So that was a strange experience in the, the night. And then, you know, I had that experience of sort of being dragged out of my body and assaulted a couple of days before. And then that panic attack in front of like my whole family, but hold it like not making a scene even though I wanted to be like help me help me and like scream but I just let it go through me so painful and like so shaky and yeah so I'm really like going through a lot without saying anything about it to the people around me which has made me feel really unsafe but today I'm feeling a lot more safe like I've gone through a lot of it but I'm really not sure and so you know going from one day feelings like really suicidal to today feeling a little more creative I talked with my brain twin last night for like an hour and a half and then today for an hour and a half and he's creating an idea and I was telling him about what I had tried to create and um Interestingly, part of what he said yesterday inspired me to start thinking about what I was creating again because he was saying like, um, basically he was saying that he found out that, well, I'll say it like this, like I had an experience of sharing an idea and somebody like getting sort of angry back at me. And he had an experience of people saying that uh, I don't want any more of his harebrained schemes. 
So like for people like me who are like so-called bipolar, we get into these creative states where we write or we have ideas or whatever. And at least at the moment, they seem kind of significant. You know, and to like have it called like harebrained schemes and this and that, it's it's kind of sad because it feels meaningful to us, but that isn't given any meaning. And what's given meaning is sort of when we, we bottom out and like we're kind of scared and lost. You know, and I've talked with myself extensively about how that kind of happens and I've lost this process of self-dialogue with myself and the vitamin process and yesterday taking a bit of vitamins and starting to talk with myself again a little bit you know or talk to the phone it's probably listening to me you know like the AI it listens and stuff and so just doing that a bit is helping so I think as hard as it's been to not have this process getting back into the process and, and quickly feeling quite a bit better possibly shows that it's a pretty good process for me. Maybe for other people, maybe the laying on the earthing mat when this pain comes could be really good as a thing, like a really powerful gesture. And um, maybe it wouldn't have worked before now. Like maybe I had to go through all that pain that I was going through and so many times I wanted to call for help from the mental health system like the hospital or something and I'm, I think I'm past that point now and I really didn't think I would get to this point this time like it was this has been really excruciating and um, maybe it's less excruciating now that I have this time to talk about things with myself a bit. And I've learned a lot. Um, I will say that I ran out of CBD oil last night. So tonight will be the first night I don't take 10 milligrams of CBD oil with the medications that I've been taking. And I don't know if it's good to mix those or not. I've just been sort of taking the meds at night and not taking the vitamins, but hopefully now if I take the vitamins and the meds, maybe that'll be enough. I do think, I think ultimately we don't really need these vitamins and stuff, but I feel that since we're going into sort of the space of energy and like less physicality and lighterness, which isn't a word, but like this lightness, Taking the vitamins is a gesture of also wanting to stay embodied. And I do have a hypothesis that people like us who kind of like go into these energetic states and back down, we need, we need more like vitamins. I don't know if it's true, but the way I've sort of started to feel quite a bit better quickly could at least say that maybe I'm supposed to share this process of taking all these vitamins. Um, maybe not, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but in the year that I've been taking them, I haven't been depressed or anything. So it could be helpful, even though it's sort of expensive and things like that. 
but so Peter Smith balancing brainchemistry.co.uk I think helps and um, it helps me and he's helping other people and I don't need to learn all that and become a naturopath because he's already doing that so I don't know what my role is exactly but um, yeah and speaking with my brain twin and his frustration I feel like I want to create like a warm line for people to share their ideas to have it listened to because something that I've realized is the power of attention and what we pay attention to and Dr. David Bohm has a quote from one of his videos on YouTube that says whatever we take in determines what we are you know so what we put our attention on and um Two days ago, I spent the whole day watching like random YouTube videos and they weren't all like high quality spiritual woo-woo ones. Just sort of random, like some of them like people with their their embarrassing bodies or, you know, things about AI or different stuff like that. And I watched one where it was about different like AI and technology. Of course, that AI robot Sophie and for saying like, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you and all that. And then one part was showing this technology where they rigged these little drones and created it as like a super intelligent swarm. So they can basically release thousands or maybe millions of these little drones from like an aircraft carrier. And um, they kind of show them coming out beautifully in the auditorium. You know, and everyone's like, woo, and wow. And then he shows that the drone can basically speed right into a human head right here and release gunpowder that's inside the drone and take that person out. Like, and I'm sure they can program to target certain types of people. And everybody's cheering and, and the guy's like standing on stage saying, oh, for X amount of money, you can get this like releasing all these drones from a plane and, and killing whoever you want. And uh, that just was kind of freaky. And I was thinking to myself, I feel kind of afraid of sharing to, you know, not influence people. Or like, I don't want, I don't feel like I want to harm anyone. And somebody could take something I say and take it to, the max or whatever and I guess anyone can do that and people are blabbing on Facebook all day long and I, I don't really do that and um but anyway I'm like oh my gosh like we got to do something here in the world like this feeling that bipolar people get like ah, I have to save the world or do something to save the world we do gotta kind of do something when people are creating these little drones that can come and just like kill us you know they could kill all the people that are bipolar if they want and so anyway um with that and um other things I'm sort of like okay well I think I need to get back to creating my idea and taking these vitamins and I'm not sure if my brain is ready to do so. 
maybe slowly. And um, I can't remember what else, but there's been there's been a lot. And I talked about the example of me taking a screenshot of a book I was reading and and my partner friend like posting the exact same time, that exact same clip of the book on Facebook. And I was like, there's something about this entangled attention. Like what I'm looking at affects um, people who I'm entangled with. And I started reading this like advanced level, like quantum physics language, zero, one binary, good, bad paper. Like it's like a scientific paper. And then my partner friend sent me something with like zero, one binary code of like good, bad. Like it was almost the exact same thing, almost right after I read it. So, you know, I've had this experience talking with myself and unfolding things for myself just by talking aloud for the years. And then like in the time, oftentimes I'll get an email the next day that kind of says exactly what I just said to myself. And I sort of unfolded it in my own process just by speaking from like nothingness. I feel like there's this speaking and writing from this nothingness place. It's kind of like, it's like we are a black hole ourselves. And, you know, these little bits of information can come out of the black hole and, and like be creative or something. And I'm really seeing, or I've seen several examples of that. You know, even the other day, I finally wrote an article for my blog on the synchroversity thing I'm creating. And it was a pretty intense. And then I kind of bottomed out and I did feel depression and stuff. So I'm a little leery about getting too much into it right now. But, um, Uh, that same day, my partner friend, she um, she was like, oh, will you send me some of your dialogue so I can listen to it? So like the day that I was sort of getting back into my idea, she was interested in listening to something I had to say, which um, didn't feel like that was happening. And, you know, everybody has their own interests for sure. Like, um, I think part of the, what I've discovered is that I have no idea who would be interested and I don't know if anyone really should, like, it's more interesting to unfold things for oneself and that's part of the process that I'm trying to share and haven't shared. So, so anyway, like if, if someone can create this intelligent swarm of little drony robots to like blow people's brains out maybe together as like bipolar transconscious people we can create something to um you know almost like maybe expand certain areas of the brain and i think you know this always sounds like grandiose and crazy but i think if we can find that source within, then we as humanity can find, you know, again, Dr. David Bohm said in an interview with, with um, David Suzuki that we need a new, a new source of information. And Bo Lotto, the neuroscientist said, 
um, the next um, upgrade in in technology will not be like a gadget or a thing, but a new way of looking. And I think that's part of what happens in bipolar is we get acquainted with this new way of looking without understanding that this is a different way of looking. And I think that it's partly that we're looking from like one consciousness. And, you know, people talk about oneness and we're all one and this and that. Uh, so why doesn't that apply with bipolar people? And I think since we all like kind of write similar things, um, it's showing that we're tapping into like a one source and we're sort of like channels for this. And uh, the trouble is it kind of it kind of blows out our brain. And then um, I don't think it has to. But um, the fallout is really intense and painful and it's a dip deeper into the self than like usually we're like up and down throughout the day like this. But since we go up, up, up into this creative source, we go down, down, down deeper into the ego stuff and conflict and um, you know, even just being around people that don't see the world the same way. Um, there's some kind of conflict in that. And I don't think it's wrong. Like, I think this time I've learned possibly how to weather that in a very intense way. Very, very intense. And, uh... You know, I don't know if it's over, but um, I need to relearn how to take care of myself. Or learn how to share this idea, which is creating idea sharing. And um, one thing I realized, and I might have already said this, but I'm forgetful is that just having someone to listen to the idea. So once my friend was interested in hearing the dialogues, I no longer was really interested in if, if she was interested in what I had to say on these dialogues. It wasn't like, like I kind of wanted someone to be interested and like, um, interested in, uh, Sorry, I got distracted. Like, interested in the ideas. Like, just as, like, say I'm in a low state and I'm, like, talking about how I'm feeling bad. Like, I had this experience throughout, like, when I was going through the struggle the last month. Even just saying, I feel like, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm going to kill myself. Just saying it out loud. Then it went, then it kind of went away. And then all of a sudden I didn't feel like I wanted to. But I had to say it and have someone hear it in order for that change to happen. If I kept it inside, then it just, the pain kept going. And I wasn't able to fully talk about everything I was experiencing. And I think going through it that way this time gave me a different perspective, seeing that I can internalize it and go through it. and not make what's happening inside me, which has nothing to do with what's happening now. Like it does, like it's the past, but 
right now, like my Maslow's needs are good. So there's this energy that wants to like create drama in this space where uh, in a Maslow's way, hierarchy of needs, I'm fine. But it wants to make like some kind of dramatic situation. And I felt that when I had that, you know, quote, panic attack and everyone in my family was there and I had to sort of pretend it wasn't happening. And I didn't know if I would be able to get through it without like shouting out and be like, help me and like making some big scene or like, you know, even trying to hurt myself or that wasn't really there, but it has been at times to like, to kill myself in order to create some kind of like scene of, you know, you know, when there's emergency, people really pay attention. They're like, that's the time when we, our attention like goes into this state of perception action is when there's some kind of emergency we can learn to be in that at other times and that's why i created this whole like epigesturetic thing and right now i'm talking about all this from a place where i don't even have the energy to practice what it is that i'm saying but that's the thing um how we go through these different states and then have access to different modes of being or different like quote moods or different states of expression or movement or gesture or like how we want to be altruistic or not. Um, I think I learned something about altruistic harm reduction because I did give a lot away this time, which I'm fine with. Um, because this person is someone um, I really love and care about. And now I need to learn how to translate that into loving and caring about other people who suffer the way I do. Because I went through some crazy suffering this time. Whereas last time, the suffering was minimal. And then the time before, tons of suffering. So it seems like... Um, yeah, there's just a lot of this this suffering and, and we all suffer as human beings. And I've been suffering in such a way that it's wanted me to like end my life. And wow. It still could happen. For sure. So I think that's partly why I'm trying to make it so maybe there's another role for us to, to share ideas with each other. And my hypothesis is that it's from the same source. And if it's from the same source, these ideas don't belong to anybody. So that's the only way it's going to work is if we really like these don't belong to anybody. You know, if somebody if somebody creates something out of something good for them, like that was meant to be, obviously. Because um, for me, I've had so many ideas and I haven't been able really to create any of them. I've been able to like do this self-dialogue process, but I haven't been able to like create anything that I've had an idea of. So why am I holding on to them? Why would I care if somebody else was able to create it? Because if they are, that's great. If it's a, if it's a good, decent idea worth exploring and somebody has the capacities and talents and abilities and resources to be able to do that, like, good for you. 
I really don't. And I, I get to the point sometimes where I'm laying there on the couch and I can't even move. So I feel like I need to kind of plan for the lowest common denominator. I've seen so much, like, it's hard to explain. Like, I've kind of seen how physical diseases can manifest and how, you know, these things come about in the play of consciousness and relationship and everything. And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but, you know, I feel like there's an energy that could put me in like a catatonic state and I could get diagnosed with like catatonic schizophrenia. I've also seen how I could get diagnosed with some kind of like early Alzheimer's or um, like multiple personality disorder or um, borderline personality disorder or even um, maybe like attention deficit and also what was the other one? Oh, like even like some kind of like sociopath or psychopath or like so many things I've just seen like these plays in consciousness that could lead to this direction of like ending up with some other diagnosis than bipolar one with psychotic features. And I've worked really hard this time to not create like drama and transfer this pain that's psychological, internally emotional of the past. And there's a lot of it that I felt of my what I've done and what, you know, quote, others have done and all this and that and, and just realize, like, just, like, allow it to pass through the body and it actually takes its toll on the body because it's all stored in the body and it's been sort of forgotten and suppressed and then it comes up and, you know, it wants to get replayed or repeated somehow and then when that doesn't happen, there's a lot of physical pain. At least that's part of how I'm seeing it and... And taking the responsibility to to be with that pain um and it's been really excruciating at times i did learn through this process the power of human touch because sometimes i'd be in excruciating pain and i'd get like a leg massage by someone and the pain would be gone so like human touch um you know it maybe says how whatever that pain is, that emotional pain from the past, had it been received with some kind of like compassion and hug, maybe it would have been dealt with then, but it was sort of not quite dealt with. And, and there's so much that that still just is impossible to deal with. Um, so it's just like, why why bother with the past? Even though the past can can come up and want to create some kind of bother and I don't think that will ever, ever end, but, um, yeah, I've been able to be with a lot of it and maybe there's a lot more, like even now I have a subtle pain here and in my leg a little bit. And so I'll probably do that gesture of laying on the earthing mat because it's something about like gravity. There's something about resetting the body by laying on the ground and you know my my partner was saying long for a long time like do this posture of laying on the ground like this and I didn't really do it and then finally I just sort of did it myself and and it helped so um you know oh she was right but the thing is that with these these gestures and these things like we do need 
well, I feel in my experience that I, I need enough space to start making the decision to do it myself. So if I'm always told like, do this now and then do this and then do this, it's sort of like somebody else is making the decision um, to help me live like because the gesture to do something about the pain is like okay I want to live I, I want to live through this but it's being pointed out by somebody else what to do um but that's kind of what happens in the psych ward it's like here you're in the psych ward take this pill um you know there's a tv to watch but it's sort of designed so we can like wander around ourselves and like so that's a bit helpful because you know, it creates a bit of time and space for people to decide to, to choose to live. It's a choice and um, yeah, so it's just been, I think now I've sort of chosen that. And um, again, hopefully, and something that I read yesterday that um, was resonant for me was this back part of like Krishnamurti's notebook. This is a great book to read because he talks about all these sort of discontinuous beautiful experiences as well as um, experiencing a lot of pain. And I had the book laying down open and I happened to re read the back cover of what he said. And he said, um, Krishnamurti said, I wrote it as a diary while I was traveling, but I did not write it for publication. I describe what I call the process, my sensation of being outside the ordinary world, of being completely at peace and removed from conflict. This happens only from time to time, and it is impossible to describe to anybody who has not experienced it. So I would like to hypothesize that this is part of what we're experiencing is sort of when we're in that so-called mania um, and like feeling effortless and flowy and blissful and at peace and there's no conflict. That's sort of where we are. And it's something that is outside the ordinary world. And so reconnecting with the ordinary world is painful. Um, and this is what he gets into next. And this was helpful to see by chance. And he says, but I have ex attempted to put into words the actual pain and sensation which goes with the heightened consciousness. So he's talking about heightened consciousness. And I think that's what happens to us. We go into this heightened consciousness. And here, this is Krishnamurti, like the, the spiritual philosopher who talked for 60 years about this stuff. He said, I have attempted to put into words the actual pain and sensation, which goes with the heightened consciousness. So it's, it's implying that when you go into this heightened state and you come down or however it works, um, you know, and he says it only happens from time to time, meaning like he doesn't control when it happens. He doesn't say, oh, now it's going to happen and oh, now it's not. Kind of like so-called bipolar. You don't have a choice um, in what's like really happening. And then he said, if you lead a certain type of disciplined, quiet life, you release a kind of energy that's a scientific fact. And this affects the non-mechanical part of your brain so that you enter into a new dimension. This is just on the back cover of Krishnamurti's notebook. So um, this could be a clue for us, though, to leave, 
live um, a certain type of disciplined, quiet life. So I think we do need to be more quiet eventually. Possibly, I don't know. And I did experience um, experimenting with that in June. Like I was quiet, I sat a lot in nature, and then I went to the high energy place and 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 it was a lot smoother. So it says, and this affects the non-mechanical part of your brain so that you enter into a new dimension. Like there's, he's saying there's this non-mechanical part of the brain and thought he says is mechanical. It's a mechanical process in the brain. And there's a non-mechanical part. And I think this whole like moving into this non-mechanical part and coming back down into the mechanical part and interacting with people who are kind of going up and down in that too a little bit and not knowing which is which and what is what, it's very, um, it's very painful or it can be. So um, he also says the physical organism is incapable of meeting it and so you get the pain. So there's something, this like non-physical energy, but the physical organism can't quite like get with it. And um, I'm not suggesting that everyone should try to attain this, but it may be of interest to some people who have followed my thoughts and ideas to know what happens on a more personal level. You know, so the, all the videos I've created with myself are kind of like my own diary to myself of trying to mitigate the pain and uh, everything of like going up and down in this energy and going up and down this energy partly creates, you know, stories of who's to blame for different things. Um, and I think that's something I've seen more recently is there's nobody to blame. There's nobody like, there's nobody there, like there's no separate self. And it's kind of really hurting my brain to to act as if there is. And so that's why I like getting into this um, kind of like swarm consciousness could possibly be helpful and just, you know, I found it really helpful to listen to myself and maybe that's all this will be. But um, it could be helpful for us to listen to each other and have um, people who don't mind listening to other ideas. So, um, yeah, so I'm glad that I found that gesture of laying on the ground and um, you know, let's see what else. I did a bit of writing because I haven't been to talk, I haven't been talking to myself. Um, yeah, yesterday was the first time I took this lithinase stuff. Instead of, like, I haven't been taking lithium orotate, so I haven't been really taking any lithium at all. Um, which could be not so good. So just taking this little bit of lithinase. Uh, 50 mcg 
I don't know, Dr. Peter Smith on his website talks about getting away with just um, taking that little bit of lithium. And uh, yeah, my brain does hurt a little bit right now, which means it could be a good time to ground and rest and see if that gesture does indeed help. And um, yeah, like a lot of things have been happening and I lost, lost this process of talking with myself, but next I think, I just wanna to say to myself, yeah, I think these vitamins really help and it could be a sign that um, it's important to share this. You know, the body does respond to healthy gestures. We could need more nutrition for our brain because of this up and down. Um, I don't think it's absolutely true, but it could have helped me to take a break from taking the vitamins because I was taking the vitamins when the trouble started um, a month or so ago. And then I stopped taking them for a while. And so maybe like taking them again, I'm responding because, because my body responds well to these vitamins. And, you know, I think the Hardy Nutritionals program could work for people too, work for people who have like a loving support system and, and, you know, have people that are gonna be around them that are willing to, you know, forgive and, and love and let go of the past if there's a lot of like um conflict there I, i'm not sure like i think it, it wasn't quite strong enough for me but i really do believe that could help a lot of people and then there's this other thing with peter smith which you know i'm still taking the medication but i'm taking a lot of vitamins and it's possible that that really helps to make up for any of the 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 trouble that the medication could cause the brain and now I'm not even against the medication it helps me sleep and if I get a good sleep it's a lot easier to to function in in this world or to to go on living at least and yeah so sleep is super important but it doesn't it doesn't help everyone and it makes things worse for some and that's true with anything you know like um, a brand new beautiful chef knife can be like a beautiful gift for someone who wants to like create all these beautiful food creations you know or somebody could like stab themselves so like anything can be used almost like for good or not good like taking one of these might be helpful but taking all of them is probably going to cause a problem so it's about it's about intention, it's about quantity, it's about is this a gesture of support and health or is this a gesture of, of harm? And yeah, I feel really, yeah, trying to get through this energy of a gesture that would want to cause harm and then it's hard for me to say anything sometimes. So um, yeah. Um, I'm going to take a break and then maybe I'll talk a little bit more after. So last night I didn't take CBD oil with my medications because I ran out. 
and I slept fine. I woke up once in the night and took one extra Seroquel and fell back to sleep. And I had a strange experience where before I went to sleep at some point, someone came down and was like, gave me a hug and, oh, do you want to hang out tomorrow? And I had this reaction as I was trying to fall asleep that just came over me. It was really intense and I didn't expect it. Where it was kind of like, this is why I don't want to live here. I want, I don't want people just to be able to walk into my space at any time. And so it was interesting because when that happened, my inner consciousness like went into this sort of holotropic breathing like thing that has happened before. It happened really intensely right before I was hospitalized the very first time. And it happened, but it wasn't as intense. And it was sort of like empty and and dark and vast. And then after the breathing stopped, after I don't know, like, I don't know if it was like a minute or five minutes or 10 minutes, but I was laying like this and I could feel like this pressure on my hands. Like there was this like womb enclosing me or something. It was strange and not uncomfortable. So that was sort of like the fourth strange experience that I've had in in a week, I guess, yeah. Like with the panic attack, the being pulled out of my body, the projecting those movie clip images, and of course all the remote viewing and and then this going into that. As well as, I guess, another one where I did the yoga posture and sort of felt that peace where I could um, send love to people for the first time in over a month. So that was nice. It's so strange how that love goes away or seemingly does. And yesterday I wanted to talk just briefly about how Something that's inspired me is watching Jason Silva's video on awe. And he says um, something like, with the technology now, um, I don't know if he says we're sort of responsible for being co-authors of the meme sphere. Like, there's no reason why we can't or shouldn't. Like, we have all this technology. So that was a bit inspiring for me to to share or something. I don't know. And also, I'm not sure what else, but um, you know, then I came across why well, I just sort of looked on my shelf and I started reading this book that I have already. And this is sort of what I explore with myself or part of what the project is based on, um, you know, exploring the power of collective consciousness. And for me, it's in the context of so-called bipolar. You know, like, what is that sort of role? I think it's sort of some kind of evidence of a collective consciousness, or at least a segment of it. Like, I'm not trying to say that it's better or anything. There's no way to say that it's better because there's the downtimes, which are horrible and, and very painful and very you know, feeling kind of like evil and violent and it's really not great at all. 
So in the beginning of the book, the very first bit, there's an introduction that says, can we know something we can't directly perceive? Can we communicate that knowledge to another, to other people without words or gestures by a sheer effort of the will? Are there things we don't even need to communicate because in some mysterious way we all just know? And what of the physical world around us? Can we act upon that by the power of the mind alone? Could a collective consciousness be harnessed to transform the world? So that's kind of what my question is. Could a collective consciousness be harnessed to transform the world? Or can people with bipolar sort of harness the up somehow? And like, what would be the way to do that? It would be to sort of share with each other. And um, I actually feel that if we really were able to communicate and share those memes of this sort of bipolar downloading, if we were really able to like integrate that, we would need less words because people with so-called bipolar, they get in contact with a lot of words. And as there's more understanding, we don't need as many words. And I kind of experienced that in the last cycle where I was trying to explain a lot and it created a lot of words of explanation and yeah, and then now I've created another project where it gets rid of the need for that, which I'll talk about later. And it says, there's an image here and it says, the thinker as imagined by Auguste Rodin, but he is, is, but is he thinking deeply enough? Might we all be capable of thinking our way to other dimensions as yet unperceived or even unimagined? And then, interestingly, the very last part of the book is talking about, um, it says, patience, patience. Acceptance, if it's ever to come, will be sometime yet, that's clear, in terms of acceptance of some kind of collective consciousness. Um, Again and again in history, researchers have had to take on not just new thoughts, but whole new paradigms, had to unlearn what they thought they knew and how they thought they knew it and go on learning. But this does not in any way absolve noetic science of the responsibility to be a science. Any conclusion it wishes to draw will have to be stood up the same old way. And uh, the last, and then it says, High hopes are invested by many in the global consciousness community. Working, thinking, researching together, we might achieve great things. So that's kind of what I'm trying to create with this synchroversity thing. It's a place for working, thinking, and researching together. And, you know, I feel that it's possible that we don't even need to, like, carry out anything it's just the research and like sharing ideas and and talking about them the way the scientific community does um we would do this with each other in the same sort of way and that would probably have an effect and i think it would and you know then supporting each other when we're in the self consciousness when the self comes back and then um 
Anyways, it says, realistically though, the discipline isn't going to be able to run before it can walk. This is understandably aggravating for researchers like Radin who believe that basically noetic science is walking already and point to encouraging experimental evidence across a range of fields. Others look at the same results and conclude that noetic science is stumbling at best. After all this time, we are, we are the indications why are the indications not much clearer? A great deal depends on assumptions one brings to the question, there's no doubt. Some starting out from a sympathetic position are ready, even eager to be convinced. Some skeptics won't soften however strong the case. In the end, we all have to make up our own minds as individuals as far as that's possible. It is important that we consider the available evidence as justly as we can and think things through. However difficult, the judgment, the journey, there, however difficult the judgment, the journey there is likely to be life-changing, challenging and revelatory, taking in fundamental questions of cosmic and individual existence. Whatever we decide, we're in for a heady time. Whichever side of the fence we finally come down on, it won't be time or study wasted, that's for sure. And that's a nice last sentence of the book for me because it says, whichever side of the fence we finally come down on, it won't be time or study wasted, that's for sure. In terms of coming down on the side of the fence of, there's no collective consciousness, or there is some kind of collective consciousness and intelligence. And, um, I think there is, I really do, and I think when I talk with myself, it kind of re-proves it every day. And because I had this experience too, where I think I talked about it. I was, I saw the flower of life because I see the flower of life sometimes in terms of these little sparkling living bits. And I had an experience with that years ago too, seeing that each time the sparkle was there, it turned into an ant. So it was like the ant pattern in the ground. But anyway, the next day, a friend of mine who I very, very, very rarely talk to, I've talked to like twice by email in like the last couple of years, sent me a flower of life illustrated sort of colorful gif that was a bit animated. And that's the person that I associate with the flower of life. So, um, yeah, and even yesterday, the thing was, I it came to mind to play uh, the little Nintendo that I could set up here. And then that's when the person came down and said, oh, maybe we could play some Nintendo tomorrow. So it's like, it's like the world really is uh, obviously responding to, you know, my subjectivity. But it's really strange when like, it's the response of people because then it feels kind of like this subjectivity is not, it's like controlling other people in a way or influencing them. And, and that seems like a big responsibility. You know, but anyone could write anything and 
that influenced somebody. And so I don't know, I just, and then on page 35, not that I want to say too much about it, but it says, um, so it says it opens the door to the idea that potentially at least there might be a collective consciousness that transcends the individual mind. Just as the internet links up the world, world's computers and enables them to work in concert, could a shared intelligence someday unite humanity? Or is this already happening? I think it's already happened, actually. Um, like I've, I've seen it, it came to mind again that I saw like this really beautiful um, bunch of people and I was in 7-Eleven and there's all these like beautiful beings, like kind of like these light beings walking around. And then there was like this shift and then every, it turned into this like chaos of people. And it was like before my eyes. So there is more than one world. And I even wrote down um, a couple of quotes from Krishnamurti's notebook because he's, he says, he talks about another world and you know, it's kind of dangerous to talk about the other world because then one thinks one needs to like end the body to get there. And um, so he, there's two quotes that I got yesterday from Krishnamurti's notebook. Um, had been seeing people and after they left, one felt as though one was suspended between two worlds. Then presently the world of the process and that unquenchable intensity came back. Why this separation? The people one saw were not serious. At least they thought they were serious, but they were only serious in a superficial way. One could not give oneself completely and hence this feeling of not being at home again, but all the same, it was a strange experience. That's from page 37. And then there's another one woke up early with that strong feeling of otherness, of another world that is beyond all thought. It was very intense and as clear and pure as the early morning cloudless sky. And that's page 43. So this is like Krishnamurti, somebody who went around teaching the world for 60 years, talking about another world. And then, you know, if people are in the hospital with bipolar and they're talking about like another world or another dimension or you know special messages or something coming from another world then um then we're crazy um so what i've learned this time in the process is how to sort of keep more of it to myself and i, I feel quite a bit better today I took some of my vitamins and I ordered a few more. So I don't, I think I'm going to the island. I'm not sure if it's good to go or stay here or what, but yeah.
I'm reading a bit more of this book on noetic science and it's talking about bees and it's talking about how they live eusocially um, a community of worker bees would be well fed and equipped but barren because they need the queen for reproduction a queen alone or even with her drones could not cope with the immediate needs of life because they need the females that are infertile that gather nectar make it into honey and make the wax cells in which the honey and eggs are stored so it says um, only if all perform their functions will the hive as a whole survive so that rhymes and not only that if we're sort of a hive as humanity I feel that um, people who are so-called bipolar also have a certain function, which is to go into that other world, you know, participate in, like, bring some of that energy into the other world. But, you know, if we were sort of cared for and protected, like, maybe we had harvested some nuggets of wisdom that might help us get to the other world, um, we might have something to share with people. But, um, but generally we get, you know, medicated until we have a mental illness and afraid of our consciousness and, and going into that space. And I'm kind of afraid of it now because it was a really intense road back. But, um, yeah, I do think there's something to us creating some new roles. And I also remember having a bit of a dialogue with somebody quite a few months ago and um, they were talking about how Krishnamurti shared that if we have an insight, it's kind of our responsibility to share it because an insight belongs to everyone. It's not a personal thing. That seeing is for everyone. So um, we need to share these these insights and not for any kind of use but just when we share it we acknowledge that it's not ours it doesn't belong to us and it's for everyone who cares or happens to partake in it so that's part of the reason why it would be good to collect our insights and share them with each other because that's just kind of what they're for. They're to be shared. And that could be part of the mechanism of it moving to us towards being able to be in this swarm consciousness. And I think that as we, if we're able to create a different role for ourselves, which could literally just be sort of sharing the insights and looking at them and whatever and then also living a totally regular awesome normal simple life um just as people who work in whatever profession they're not doing that all the time um, but by doing their profession they're somewhat fulfilled and and i think we're like tapping into something like just like um 
a person might be like the greatest surgeon in the world you know very skilled and then they might go home and have a terrible relationship with their wife a person that has or is or whatever so-called bipolar they might be skilled or have the capacity to go in and harvest certain insights and downloads but then still be kind of quote you know dysfunctional in the home life or something like that um you know in those states where we're able to channel some of that feel like perfection and and um it could be that but it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect all the time um I'm not sure if there are people that are perfect all the time, but I'm I'm definitely not one of them. So that's kind of the point. Um, we're all gonna have our failings, and I think if we created a thing where every day we kind of go through our notebooks and a little while, just maybe an hour or something, and share a few insights on the synchroversity base camp and then I know some people create some books or something or just to share the insights then um, that could be helpful possibly and part of what I've realized through this cycle is you know According to how quickly I've responded to starting taking supplements again, I think that it, it, you know, that immediate response is the body kind of relaxing because it's starting to get the nutrients again and my brain's feeling like I will take them so it's feeling more comfortable and I think it means that uh, I do need the gesture of these nutrients in order to stay grounded you know, in material world as well as, you know, the subtle world, which the brain can access these like subtle, you know, meanings and messages and insights that I don't think the brain would access those insights if we were already living in that world in an embodied way. There'd no, be no point in thinking about it or, or thinking one's way into it. And then the thinking one's way out of it is like, you know, the equal and opposite um, fall to the rise. So, um, yeah, I need to find a way to to stay uh, kind of grounded and and help other people. So I think you know, the self-dialogue and the vitamins are helpful because speaking some of those insights and discoveries out loud, um, basically, there's nobody to listen to that. There's a whole system designed to listen to when it falls out and we're, we have these stories of self and pain and past and, and trauma and all that. And they just basically give us pills to to quench that so i think taking the vitamins helps to to quench and ground some of the higher states and um yeah i don't really know 
where that leaves me in terms of being portable. And there really is something to the power of human attention. So I think, um, yeah, I think I might try to, to utilize that in, in some way. And, um, and also the power of the human gaze and the power of human touch, you know, AI can't duplicate the living power of a human attention, but oftentimes we're usually, we usually try to get information and like bring it into the brain from the outside. And if we get something from the outside, it's already been created. So it's already not alive anymore. And then we take these bits and then we use those to speak. And I feel like this is why it's essential to get into contact with the source within, because that's the only way there'll be some kind of, um, I was reading in a Krishnamurti talk, he talked about the creative flame. So it's kind of like having the creative flame as the way one speaks as well. I just discovered a word called morphine, which says it is a form of spelling knowledge that focuses on the meaning of words in its smallest form and how they change when making compound words or using suffixes and prefixes. And so I think I've discovered, um, you know, what, um, this is kind of like a bipolar noetic science thing but it's also, it seems that the bipolar brain accesses some kind of morpheme area of the brain where the brain starts playing with the language that it has. It plays with the semantics, it plays with the linguistics, and now I see that it also plays with the morphemes. It starts to pick apart the syllables of the words or the morphemes of the words and see which ones are coherent and which ones are incoherent and starts to change the words. You know, like to have con, um, you know, for example, I can do one right now. We use the word consciousness and con is kind of like a negative, like a pro and a con. So then what one would do is call it prociousness. So, I just changed the word, which is one of the fundamental words that we question and look into, and I call it prociousness instead of consciousness. So that would be an example of how um, one would change a, a word to be a little bit more like positive, since consciousness is like this fundamentally positive thing, like it's how we experience life and we don't even know what it is. So, you know, consciousness could be coherent in that we don't even freaking know what it is. And that's kind of a con. Um, but anyway, I won't go on with that. But one can just start playing with a word for, you know, however many minutes or, and then it can get into different stuff. And I've, I've done a lot of that. And I did that for like, a whole hour and like filled up a whole notebook one time so that's kind of um, 
that and I was also trying to talk about speaking a language of possibilities like what if and blah 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 and like asking questions but it seems like I'm not really able to do that but perhaps we can do that together is create a language of possibilities just talking about possibilities together could be something and not really having to worry about whether or not we're able to physically carry them out because yeah so yeah all this talking with myself is like raw data I really don't know what's helpful or what's not helpful but for me it's partly to understand from where one is speaking is it from a bank of stored up knowledge or is it from this sort of inner source and um, I was watching this something on Nikola Tesla and it said he did everything three times and sometimes when I'm in this state, um, I have to do things three times. Like, it kind of won't let me. Like, I put in my password, it says error. I put in my password again, it says error. And then I do it again, and then it's fine. So I don't know why that is. But it could be something to do with the, the three bodies that we have that Ken Wilber talks about. And, um, yeah. And then the other thing that I thought of yesterday was like a new concept of of AA which is um, artificial attention and basically I wrote down it's a hypothesis that that a lot of our attention is artificial in that you know we're attentive to certain things and we make certain things salient because we've been programmed to do so and so we we gather this information from the outside um, but the other thing is that when we start to inquire and question within ourselves into that emptiness, then the answer comes in manifestation. So it's not like acquiring knowledge and acquiring more and more and trying to sort of get somewhere, but by being nowhere and going into this nowhereness or nothingness and asking, then the answer is there, like when I talk with myself, I've talked about how I'll unfold something and understand it. And then the next day I get an email about that same thing. Um, so as sort of like a confirmation of my own understanding. And when we, with our attention, discover things, you know, for ourselves, doesn't mean it hasn't already been discovered or by other people or what have you. Um, it just means that um, with our attention we sort of understood something and that um, isn't artificial in that there's a whole intelligence of the living world that will respond to us when when we understand something so um, it's it's sort of like reversing the process of how we process information and it's not really from like the inside out, but it's from like nothingness to somethingness, like unfolding something instead of trying to take a bit and put it in. 
somewhere in the brain, it's like there's this nothingness in the brain and we unfold part of the brain and it actually, it makes the brain make new connections, which we can do by taking stuff in too. But like here, I've been working on this project of like this sort of possible swarm intelligence consciousness of, of bipolar. And you know, there's other ones too, but this is the niche that I'm kind of working in because of my experience. And um, then I spot the book on the shelf talking about noetic science and I'm looking at the book and it's kind of like, yeah, that's what I'm looking into, this kind of like swarm intelligence and yeah. And um, so yeah, there's a living source within us and we can inquire inwardly and not know and this reverses the process of that and that's what we need in order to like think together is to start from not knowing and this is what um like krishnamurti's inquiry is about too it's is not knowing anything and i really feel like i don't know anything at all and Yeah, and there's definitely an observer effect. Today, I showered for the second day in a row. I didn't wash my hair because the shampoo I have keeps it pretty clean. But I noticed that by being in the shower, I kind of downloaded a song and I don't have the skills to make it a song or even the skills to sort of translate what I hear in my head into the exact melody or tune or even know if that's the best way that it should be in a song. But it was something like, It would be nice if you tell me I'm beautiful. It would be nice if you tell me I'm great. It would be nice if you tell me I'm magical. Now that I've said it, it's too little, too late. And then it can go like, it's too late. And like up and eight, late, 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 or whatever. And then music in the background, like sort of, it could be electronic or it could be country or something. So, yeah, it, it's nice to have like a little bit of creativity come back to me in terms of that instead of this um, constant need to prove that there's this creative energy and being creative, one doesn't even necessarily have to identify with being bipolar and creating songs or like ideas for songs or music lyrics uh, could be more fun than 
this whole movement of, you know, trying to explain or trying to fix the bipolar disorder part, it could be good to going into what the capacities of that are. Because I started to talk about the Time Magazine article yesterday where there's a high association between um, bipolar and creativity. And then there was a one quote that struck me that was um, people who are writers are 10 times more likely to have the most severe form of bipolar disorder. So by writing, and then not only writing, but writing a lot about bipolar or about sort of those insights that one can tap into when one is writing and sort of channeling from the mind and those insights, like they don't really get to go anywhere. And I feel like shouldn't necessarily uh, write them down, but if it's not something shareable, then ignore it. I'm just trying to find out how not to get so like uppity and then fall so down. And I've talked about stopping talking about bipolar. And um, I feel like I just want to like utilize some of the strengths of it and stop talking about it, creating and not creating something about bipolar, maybe. So yesterday I launched the Synchroversity website and it's launched as kind of like a social project, but I'm thinking maybe I'll use it as like creativity consulting or something. And I did share a first few conversations about, you know, bipolar, but the whole point of the whole process for me is to and was to learn about how to take care of myself. And I think between the vitamins, which are a good gesture of health and nutrition for the body. And even though I'm not eating the best diet right now, it's like Lucky Charms and pierogies. Just taking the vitamins has helped, I think. So keeping up that gesture, you know, showering in the morning, which I just realized um, it gives access to a certain creativity, which is already known, like people get ideas in the shower. So I could get song ideas in the shower. And if I get enough, then maybe it could be a reason to learn music production. And um, possibly, I don't know. And Yeah, so there's got to be something that can create something good and not talking about the self of bipolar or how how there's no self. So it's like talking from a self about how there is no self. And um yeah, I'm not sure what else. The rest is in my notebooks 
which I can talk about, and I will share the game of 427 that I created for myself and just see if I can sort of finish up that line of thinking. I started to read, um, I started to read, I started to flip through some books just to flip through to be like, okay, I'm going to flip through books to, um, because I think I kind of absorb it just by seeing the pages. Like what you observe is powerful if you are in a state of attention. And so I flipped through Artie Lang's book, The Divided Self, and I realized that I'm just like really like self-conscious right now. And I think the creativity takes that away a little bit. But then there's this scary thing of going into too much creativity could cause a fall back into the self. I'm not sure. It's just sort of coming back online a little bit. And yeah, I'll go look at that stuff and see what I can create. Yeah. I created a quote the other day. It came to mind. Friendship is the greatest technology. And Also, flip through the book Kinship with All Life, and it mentioned the voice of existence in the chapter about befriending a fly, and I've befriended flies before, for sure. And I was flipping through this book. The Great Simulator. And it was interesting because it talked about how when you breathe, the purpose is to convert your physical energy stores into movement and airborne carbon. And I remember talking with myself about this, about how like talking, like some energy comes out with the breath. So it kind of affirmed that. So I feel like you know, a lot of what I've talked about with myself is already in books somewhere. Like, I have a pretty good bookshelf of books there. And, um, yeah, reading books kind of creates space between the person, like, between people. And, um, And it also said, you eat carbon and then convert it into physical energy by breathing it out. So talking does get rid of carbon in a different way, in a way of, of talking. So yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, so on my Synchroversity site, I sort of created the idea of listening to other people's ideas because it's sort of like seeing possible futures. So it makes sense that if I listen to somebody's idea and I've sort of gone into the future, that will resonate with that future energy and help to bring that into um, into being for that person. I really don't know, but who knows what's possible, right? And also, I feel like sometimes if we sort of stare into each other's eyes, we can like pass on gifts and help to allow a person's gifts to start to flower. So. Um, so that was one thing that I thought I could do and yeah just sort of going with the gifts of of mania or like this higher energy in a creative way and um, stopping the movement of needing to prove the creativity or the link or, you know, that, or like uplift from the stigma of bipolar or something, just start creating. So there was another quote in this Time Magazine thing and it said, um, oh, here it is. I flipped right to it, of course. Vision without execution is hallucination. So a lot of this is like what I've talked about with myself is vision and none of it has been really executed. So it's kind of just all hallucination, but maybe some of it could come into existence. And, um, Yeah, so I need to I need to figure something out in terms of utilizing the creativity. So yeah, now I have a website called Synchroversity. Um, if you need any help with like rhymes or poetry or making up words or research into bipolar or vitamins or anything, let me know because I really, I keep doing this for myself and proving it to myself, but um, needing to start reaching out and, um, you know, I also thought of an idea to create an app for people like us to, if we have an idea, we can just put it in. Um, well, that could be Basecamp, but another idea would be you know, if we think we have these like brilliant insights and ideas, we start typing them into the app and it'll tell us that, you know, a thousand people have already written that. Um, and, you know, that could be something like um, a Reddit, but instead of it being based on people up liking it, it would be based on how many people have said that same thing. And then the AI puts the ones that are said the most at the top. 
or maybe at the bottom because maybe those are the most dilute. And um, and then I was thinking of putting the projects, the projects that I have. Um, like the ideas that I've had on the synchroversity and then having people um, try to create some of them or something, you know, and how do we make creativity in this way less deadly? Mm, I don't know. I just, I'm just glad that this creativity came back a little bit and I'm feeling a little bit better. You know, I, I even, I changed right and wrong to light and long and um, yeah and I wrote down that we don't really have any like higher social role uh, except people who have managed to work in jobs and Um, yeah, I'm not sure what else. So then the, the 427 project is something a little different. So here I am, talking to myself again, and I don't know if I'll keep talking to myself or what, but I haven't been talking with myself, and I told myself I would, and I lost contact with that process, which that's what's hap that's what happened, I can't change that, but I'm seeing that Maybe this process of self-dialogue is important to maintain a connection with my own voice, whatever that is. And over the years, it's changed and it changed naturally and I don't plan it or really remember, but I think at first I was talking about insights and it was mixed in with being angry at the mental health system and then that anger eventually went away because I realized that it was challenging going through a mental health crisis if the environment wasn't really calm and peaceful so then it's come to different realizations of This time, I wasn't talking to myself through it, but I really realized that we're not separate at all. And so this part is really boggling my mind. And I do feel a little bit more separated now, like a separate self. 
but it's still really strange. I went through this time and I'm still in it where it's just really hard to say or do anything because I'm sort of afraid to influence people in any way, shape or form. And then it was somewhere yesterday where people are sort of being told and directed what to do, which isn't bad, like it, but I was just realizing that if I don't sort of figure out what it is I want to do, then I'll just end up being told what to do. Like going to the psych ward or something like that, which still could happen. And through this process of self-dialogue, I haven't really had to tell myself what to do. And I framed it before as not really having money for therapy every day, so talking with myself can be helpful. And um, so many different things. So I'm just going to talk and see what happens. I was thinking it'd be nice to be able to create something that's a little more helpful for people like, oh, step one, do this, step two, do this, but my brain can't remember anything. So I made a bunch of notes on something on how to go about that possibly, but then I forget where they are or just sort of forget in general. So maybe I just have to do it when it comes up or not at all. So that's why I had this process of talking to myself and I lost contact with that because I was choosing to talk with um, someone I connected with deeply and I lost this part of it in a way. There's no one to blame or anything. I'm just sort of looking at it in retrospect that for some reason, I need to speak, hear my own voice, and have something receive that. I could just say it out loud and not talk to a camera, um, but the phone receives that and it, it receives it objectively, though it could be possible that by talking to the phone, Yes, the phone is recording my voice and everything, but it could also be listening in the sense that our phones listen to us. You know, our text messages aren't really private. Something like that, if we use swipe keyboards or however it works. It's not really private anymore. So I could almost think, oh, like if I say something really smart, if that's possible, then the AI will now have access to it. But I want to go with the positive feeling that everything's here to help us, including technology. And from my experience, um, and you could go, go with the quote by Krishnamurti, the future is now. All possible futures have already happened. It's sort of a quantum physical thing. And um, how we jump into those or step into those is up for debate and there's videos on YouTube about that too that I saw. And I've talked about that with myself. So there are other people out there that already have um, talked about some of these things that I just sort of seemingly came up with myself or I thought I did. 
it's never just myself because it's always influenced by something but I would just start talking and then eventually I would get to this place where I was talking about something that I never talked about before and didn't really read before so part of this process is feeling like when I talk with myself sometimes I say something new to myself and that sort of informs the brain and going based on what Krishnamurti talks about, how we all share the same brain, or if one person changes their consciousness, it affects the entire consciousness of mankind in, in whatever kind of way we don't know. But he was saying that for years. And um, I've read a lot by him. And some of these sort of disjointed and non-linear experiences that happen that are kind of a little bit... Um, jarring to say the least they can land people in the psych ward i feel that krishnamurti talks about these sorts of experiences in his notebook krishnamurti's notebook and it's all in there about how strange he experienced things but it seems since he wasn't afraid of them or he called them the process or whatever then he was fine. Well, not, not totally. He would fall over sometimes and things like that. He just told people, don't bother about it. Never mind. And so I've been experiencing a lot of body pain, headaches. Even now, just talking with myself, I can feel this like pain and pressure in my brain. And okay, I would look through this box the other day of this whole box of resources over there which maybe I'll share some of them. And um, I found this bit of a book by U.G. Uh, Krishnamurti. I was talking about J. Krishnamurti before. And U.G. Um, talks about, or somebody's writing about his strange experiences and um, talks about in here how he would have crazy headaches that he would manage with coffee and aspirin. So, you know, sometimes these, these things that happen, I'm not saying that it's something like spiritual or to do with that, but, um, you know, maybe I, I don't need to get so worked up about these extreme headaches or, I wouldn't even call them headaches feels like pain like in my brain and sometimes it's really really strong and it's been going on for like two months body pain pain in my brain and it's nearly unbearable sometimes so I haven't really gone through this before but um maybe I can continue to talk myself through it and another thing too I realized just coming back like from being in California and then coming back to Canada is like by going back and forth like that it's sort of fragmented the relationships I do have some friendships in California some friendships here and since my journey back was a little bit um it's a long story. I don't want to give all like the weird, they're not weird details, but just, 
I was trying to sort of create a life and, and you know, individuate and sort of move on. But that was happening within the framework of, quote, manic energy. And so when that bottomed out, basically, I went into post-traumatic stress, afraid of everything. So with that type of energy and experience, there's no way that I'm going to have the strength to just be like, this is who I am. I'm, I have a partner now and she's a she and do you accept that? And just the way things unfolded, basically I'm just a coward or I have no strength. I'm really weak. I'm really sensitive. I'm really scared. I'm really uh, close to being like, or just really afraid of being triggered and then like trying to kill myself and ending up in the hospital or actually killing myself and ending up in some like shittier parallel reality, like the movie, The Discovery. Um, or like in some other incarnation. I've already experienced where I felt like I was gonna wake up as like a homeless man on the beach and my whole life would have been like a weird dream in this, this homeless man's brain or something. So I feel like if I do kill myself, I just kind of wake up somewhere else and totally forget all this. So I don't think that's the solution, even though it could still possibly happen. And man, I've had some, I had a really, really strong panic attack in front of a, a bunch of people and they didn't notice. I don't even know how I didn't like scream out and freak out and create a scene like, ah, help me. So I'm getting a lot stronger with it, but it's still painful and scary. But then, um, since I've been back and forth a little bit, whatever I've been doing, I don't know if I've been talking with myself about it, but try to watch YouTube videos and like just bored, like can't even pay attention to anything for more than a few minutes. And then, um, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I watched a little bit of Tom Wooten Bipolar in Order YouTube videos. And um, I did his class once a bunch of years ago. And then I didn't want to like, keep going with it because um, there had been so many other things in my life that had helped me, like rap and just reading a ton of books. So it sort of felt like that course was um, just a really small part of my, you know, so-called bipolar education to that point. And some, for some reason I, I watched a couple of his YouTube videos. Oh, I, I'm on the mailing list. So I watched something and then something else. And, um, I came across a video by him called, I love my hallucinations. And you can look it up on YouTube. And he described an experience where he's walking down the street with his wife and he, he experiences himself jumping in front of a bus, getting killed. And then himself, his kind of spirit went into his wife, like, cause now he was dead and she was like wandering along, like, kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he just did that in front of me. He just killed himself. And then I think he describes then feeling like himself again beside his wife walking. And then he told her about it. Like, I guess what? I just experienced myself jumping in front of the bus and then being you and you're really upset. And she said, so, 
And the reason this struck me is because that's a pretty scary freaking experience. And it seems like he's been able to master that sort of thing. So that made me realize to the extent he's able to function with all of this really scary stuff. Like most people, if that happened, they would probably fall on the floor, like uh, freaking out and end up being dragged off to the hospital. Like I probably would. And I did have an experience a week or so ago where I was in my bed, dark room, eyes open, not sleeping. And I got pulled out of my body and sexually assaulted. And I could feel it like I was totally somewhere else. And you know, that kind of scared me. And those things usually would, for me, be reserved for the hospital. Like I'd already be in the hospital and, and not in a good state. And that's when those things would happen. But now I'm like not in the hospital and those things happening. And it just makes it kind of scary. And um, more easily triggered by other people that are around. So... Um, you know, point being, I'm not in the hospital, but scary things are happening sometimes and these pains and um, just trying to get through them. And, you know, he does describe in his videos, like the pain of depression, like there's actual physical pain and gives an example of like some St. Teresa, um, you know, having like physical pain and then getting to the point where it doesn't bother her anymore so you know people have pain people have these sorts of things and you know I'm just back in Canada now so you know I'm just I'm trying to think like now what do I do um I'm sort of on my own at the moment and there's that path of, of being with someone or being on my own at home and, you know, I have, I have no strength, kind of weak, cowardly, you know, in connection with the traits of myself that I don't really, just, they're just not my favorite right now. And um, it's, it's really challenging. And I was sleeping this morning and had like some kind of thought come to my mind about it's all dreaming. And so um, I was a bit inspired by, you know, Tom Wooten talking about um, racing thoughts. I don't really get racing thoughts, but he says racing thoughts going to, um, I can't remember what he said, but can turn racing thoughts into brainstorming. And um, he said, and that can lead to grandiose notions, like I have this idea that's going to change the world. And then he said, well, that's okay, as long as you run it by people and make sure it's um, like a worthwhile idea. So it did inspire me a little bit to go back to finding out if there's a way to use some of these words that come along. And um, I have notebooks full of them. 
And it's just a matter of like, what's the type of format that would be interesting or inspiring to people. Um, I did create the Synchroversity website and it's sort of inspiring. It's trying to inspire people like us to start sharing our insights, um, mainly to establish this flow of, of meaning in, in our community of people who have brains that operate in this sort of up and down, which lately I've seen, I had a really strong, strong example of this the other day. I was actually feeling good and, you know, playing music. Nobody was home. So I played some music on the speakers and I was just kind of like dancing a bit. I don't really dance, but just, just dancing for the sake of moving the body and being in the body. And then I was like actually creating a little bit of a song. I have a, like an old computer setup with a MIDI keyboard and FL studio. And I just created this little song and I'll put it in here. And I was definitely in a flow of sorts. And then um, I heard people come home and I literally felt like this weight and like my brain hurt. And like all of a sudden, like I could barely move. It was like molasses. And I was just sort of like, and then I was like upset and crying and depressed and suicidal. And it was just really obvious that um, I do feel that the morphogenetic field or whatever the field is that each person has, and I'm not saying mine is good, actually, I'm thinking I need to stay in this basement and protect myself, and sorry, protect other people from my, my crappy energy, um, which is usually what I try to do. But on my journey back from California, I was with somebody and it just, made it prolonged because I didn't have that space to just really go into that negative energy. And when I'm in that space, I, I don't really want to put it on others. In the past, I have projected the blame onto um, people around me, actually. It's like, whether it's the psych system or family. And um, this two months of PTSD I went through, I really realized they're not really to blame like, and blaming them doesn't help. So then what do I do when nobody else is to blame? Well, I put it on myself and it's put it at me in a really uh, dangerous spot because I've been 
feeling a lot of guilt and shame and everything and and suicidal but I did want to mention that I really did notice how there's there's really like there's two different worlds there's this one where you're flowing and everything and if you're flowing it implies that other people can come in and disrupt that flow and um so it's making me wonder, is it even safe to go into like those creative states? Is it safe? I had another experience where I was playing on um, the keyboard, piano, just for fun. And after I stopped playing, I felt really awful too. And that didn't really have anything with anyone, anything to do with anyone coming and going. But I do feel that if there was ever a space designed for people with this creative energy, bipolar, whatever you want to call it, like some kind of hive structure, it'd be important that each person have their own soundproof unit where they can um, flow in their own um, energy, possibly. Maybe if it was only people with um, that and it would be good if the people had their 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 brains in order like I guess like Tom Wooten teaches and um, this time through these two months I have done a good job of not getting mad at anybody or like yelling at anyone at all um, but I was really desperate at times in terms of feeling like I needed professional help. And it could be because I haven't been talking with myself. You know, right now I really feel it in my brain, like right here. It just hurts talking to myself. But it's not as painful as, as sometimes. Like sometimes my whole body really hurts. So... So anyway, there's this creative flow and I feel like when I'm in this lower state, not really functioning, um, it's not really the time to flow. So I'm not really eating healthy food. I'm not really showering as much as I should. I finally did yesterday because I went somewhere. But if those sort of lower needs aren't taken care of like the body then it could um possibly not be the time to go flow and be creative it might be the time to say hey i need to get back to my body and, and take care of it because part of this energy of whatever it is like suicide is like i want to leave this body i don't want to be in this body i don't want to be in this you know avatar body walking around in the world from this Point of view and perspective anymore it seems meaningless um there's nowhere like i don't see a future and um in the heightened states we see or i see like many possible futures or many possibilities and then as the energy decreases the possibilities slowly go by the wayside until one is sort of left with 
Um, I don't know what, if it's the easiest one or what, but now I'm back as a basement dweller, which I think is okay for the time being. It's not, you know, maybe, maybe it's good. I do have a sense that I'm supposed to try to appreciate this, you know, having food, clothing, shelter, a roof over my head. Of course, I appreciate that. Um, the other thing though is I really do feel there are certain sensitivities in bipolar, like, you know, the sensitivity to the morphogenetic field of others. And, you know, it's hard to get into the flow when those other energies are around from other generations. That's how I feel. I, I don't know if it's true. Because one could think, well, I'm affected if somebody comes down here and physically interacts with me and starts talking with me. But if I can hear someone talking upstairs, that's affecting me. Or if... Um, if I can't hear anything, it still affects, it affects me. Um, I just like to know that my movements and what I'm doing are sort of not being observed. Because when it's being observed, um, there is an effect. Just like, say I get mad and I, I yell out and nobody's around. Well, nothing's going to happen. But if I'm in a psych ward and I get mad and I yell out, those observers are going to come and, and tranquilize me and throw me in a, an isolation room or something. So it, it matters who's around and who the observers are. And who the observers are is who it creates a person to be, like a, a mental patient or family, like a daughter or something, like these certain roles. And... Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with those roles at all. Like, um, I'm in the process of trying to get reconnected with the mental health system because um, I don't know if I need a medication change or, you know, I might, not, I might even ask for ECT just to see what it's like, just to see if it, you know, blasts out some of these intrusive traumatic memories. Like, I don't really need them. They are not really helpful. And I've also might talk with uh, Peter Smith, the naturopath from balancingbrainchemistry.co.uk. Um, I'm taking his supplements again, but not really perfectly because I, I get up, I eat Lucky Charms when I should really take some of the empty stomach vitamins. So I eat and I have some of the vitamins that I take with food and then I let the food settle and then I take the empty stomach ones. So I'm not quite back with that. And it took me days to order some of the new vitamins I needed. It's just really slow, really, really slow um, what I can do in a day. And, and that's the thing. It seems like if I try to force it, before it's really ready, then it falls back and that jump is is really painful. I've talked about this with myself before in terms of how we can maybe 
display as moody to other people when we're in this creative flow and people sort of interrupt it we could maybe kind of lash out um but it's it's like it's a way to create space in a way it's like it's a faster way to create space like if somebody if i'm in the flow and somebody comes to my door and i just say get the f out of here they'll leave whereas if i say well you know i'm in this creative flow and you just interrupted it or can you please go away i'm busy i don't know i'm not sure how that works but i've i see how that sort of change in in energy um like speeding up and slowing down is happens in like different ways and i've experienced that lately because of how um I've been in this PTSD state for two months and there have been a few days where I was able to like get in a flow. Like the day that I created the little synchroversity kits, which are kind of just dumb, but it's about creating something. And I feel that it's just about creating something and also now for me trying to find something that I can create that doesn't make me worse. Like I've been thinking about doing some writing, even though I don't really know what now, because some of it is sort of like, uh, is it bipolar? Is it creativity? Is it the mental health system? Is it the family? Like, what is it that is, what is going on? So I feel, I feel like, yeah, the clues I got from Tom Booten were like, right. But then the other, a while ago, I was looking at this creativity magazine and it was saying that Writers have 10 times more likely the chance of having the most severe form of bipolar disorder. So writing is associated with that. And it also seems that if I try to create a little bit of music or like dance and enjoy myself, it's like, no, sorry. So it just seems like the universe is only allowing certain ways of being. Like when I'm here, I almost have to be this sort of sad person because uh, that's, that's sort of how it is. You know, it's almost like, I could almost like pretend to be happy, like super happy, but that wouldn't make sense here. So, Yeah, it's just really confusing. It's like being a little bit of a prisoner, but of one's own mind. Like I know I'm in my own prison here and I've put myself here because there were other possibilities um, being presented along the way and I, I couldn't step into them uh, because of how my brain was in PTSD. But uh, I don't, 
I really don't know. I don't know. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.